You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Welcome back to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I'm your host, Rebecca Gwilt, partner at Nixon Gwilt Law, where we help digital health companies create business models and choose revenue models for the best paths to reimbursement, among other things. Even if you have all that organized, however, that still leaves the big question for founders selling into big organizations. What do these buyers need to know to say yes to your solution, especially in the shifting markets we're experiencing today? So in the next two episodes, you're going to hear from Merit Group's Executive Vice President, Tom Rice, and Merit Group's Director of Healthcare Practices, Aaron Urban. This nationally recognized marketing and PR firm just published a survey of healthcare CIOs on what they're looking for when they're evaluating technology investments. So really pertinent, really good insight. I'm super excited. Today, we're going to dive into the role of CIOs and CFOs in buying decisions and where founders can exert the most influence. Welcome to the pod, Tom and Aaron. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Excited to talk with you today. Yes. And Aaron, you just presented this report at a conference in Vegas last week. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We were lucky enough to present the survey findings at the Healthcare IT Marketing Conference uh, held in Las Vegas. And it was really great to share the insights with some of the people that we're, you know, trying that we developed the report for and get their assessment of the results and what we can all learn from it. So it was a really great opportunity. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get some really fresh feedback from the folks that you spoke with last week. We'll we'll be sure to to get some of those insights today. And Tom, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about the Merit Group? Yeah, so um, uh, Merit Group we've been around 25 years just to celebrate our 25th anniversary. As you mentioned, we're a healthcare and and we're we're a marketing and PR agency. Have focus on many different markets, but one specifically is healthcare and. Uh, Aaron and I focus the group particularly on health tech and, and med tech. Those are our two focus areas. But we're a full service agency. So anything under the marketing umbrella, everything from de- demand generation to sales enablement to content, um, PR, of course, social media, analyst relations, and uh, work with everybody from you know early stage startups to large uh, global national companies as well. And you're, and you're bi-coastal, is that right? Exactly. We're, we're based in Tyson's Corner, just outside D.C., uh, have a small office in San Francisco and also in Dallas, and then folks located all across the country like Aaron is up in Boston. But uh, yeah, clients all across the all across the country. Wonderful. And I'm just curious, I did, I did not plan to ask this question, but it just popped into my head. We're starting to see a lot of international companies try to enter the U.S. market, and there's no one that needs sort of a more firm foundation about how to sell in the U.S. market than someone who is brand new to it. Are you seeing that trend as well? Yeah, it's interesting you'd mention that. We actually are. I uh, have a client by the name of Informatica. Their uh, their head of commercial systems actually did a, a podcast for us on on this report as well. So they're based in Poland and started really pushing in the U.S. market about two years ago. And we've seen some other interest overseas as well. Yeah, I'm 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 seeing the same. And it, you know, it's one of the good things that came out of COVID is we really started thinking about healthcare care more globally and, and in less sort of siloed ways, which means, you know, we are lucky enough to be able to to get the innovative thinking of of companies all over the world. So super exciting time. OK, so so you so Merit Group, Merit Group rather, uh, just produced a healthcare technology marketing guide. 
which I read and reached out to you and said, we have to come and talk about this on the show because I get questions like this all the time. And of course, I'm a lawyer and I can be of very little help when it comes to sort of marketing expertise in the health tech sector. So you all conducted a survey of 20 health system CIOs. Those are chief in- information officers. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to gain insight on factors that influence their technology buying decisions. Of course, health systems are big buyers of technology or have been traditionally in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, good, great question. First and foremost, it was really about helping our clients. Uh, we did something similar in our cybersecurity practice you know, a few years ago, uh, which was called marketing and selling to the chief security officer. So we thought that model really worked well. So our healthcare clients are always asking us you know, and, and themselves about how best to reach the health tech buyer. And mainly, you know, this is the CIO at the health at the health systems. So we really wanted to go straight to our clients and and go to that target buyer and ask them how they want to be marketed, sold, and communicated to, so that we could better hone our strategy for them as well. So that was really the the genesis of the of the report. So why choose CIOs and why the focus on health systems? Yeah, great question. I mean, in terms of CIOs. Typically, they're the primary buyer for offering some health tech companies. And again, health tech companies are our target clients. So that's why we really wanted to focus in on that audience. In terms of health systems, again, you know, it goes back to our clients. These are, this is primarily who our clients are selling into. You know, I think going back, thinking about the genesis of the report, we could have gone broader. Uh, but I think we really just wanted to be really focused with this piece of research. And I think we may look at other audiences down the road. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, what I what I've heard also is that Chief financial officers get very involved in this as well. Now, of course, they're not generally like the subject matter experts when it comes to health and health tech, but they certainly are a line, a person in the line of decision making. I had a really good conversation with Adam Block from Charm Economics, which I'll put that podcast in the show notes. But Adam has a company that sort of puts together numbers with a focus on CFOs and, and sort of making that economic argument for the adoption of technology. So I would love to see sort of that uh, that population's thoughts on this. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great idea. We actually we're actually talking to a revenue cycle management company, and CFOs, you know, are definitely part of their audience too. So it, it seems like the CIO, right? Well, certainly technology buying decisions fall under that that person. They also listen to a lot of different uh, folks within the uh, the healthcare organization, from CFOs to the CEO to certainly physicians as well. So it's it's definitely a not a straightforward sort of sort of sell sometimes. Yeah, but I, you know, this is the first time that I'd seen this kind of insight laid out so clearly. So let's 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 get to discussing the key takeaways, shall we? So, you know, one of the key takeaways here was that 75% of buyers get their product info from events. Aaron, I'm interested in your thoughts on how innovators should choose which events to attend, if yeah. any. Well, before I get into how you choose, I think we found this stat so interesting because anecdotally from our customers, you know, we heard that um, although we're very fortunate that events are sort of back at full blast now after COVID in terms of, you know, numbers, attendance, they, they don't exactly feel the same. They don't feel the same as they did before. And many of our customers are saying that, you know, they're not generating the leads from events that they used to. Mm. So, you know, from our perspective, we're hearing events are just not working the same for these health tech companies. Um, no. So then to hear that 75% of CIOs say that they're learning about new vendor products from events, you know, from that we learned, well, it's important to still show up and, and still have a presence at these events. However, 
that said, you know, obviously many marketing budgets are being cut. You know, when health tech companies are struggling, marketing budgets are the first to go on the chopping block often. And so um, ex- events are expensive. They're a big, a big line item on the budget. And yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I was at Health in Vegas in the fall and someone told me one of the booths was like $200,000 oh, or something yeah. like that. I was, you know, blown away. Absolutely. And I mean, how does a small health tech startup, you know, do that? And it, it's challenging. So in terms of how you choose which events to attend, you know, you have to be thoughtful about where you're going to get the most ROI for what you're going to spend. And unfortunately, for many of these smaller companies, that means skipping the big events like Health and Hymns and Vibe. I mean, it's just it's not always doable. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a, a strong and impactful event strategy. Nonetheless, you know, maybe you instead focus on smaller events that while it's a smaller attendee list, maybe you make more meaningful connections. It's lower cost. You're engaging with a smaller but more engaged audience. Or another thing that we've talked about, something that we discussed a lot of, about at Hitmic um, last week, was uh, focusing on regional events the regional affiliates of national events, you know, presenting at regional hymns events and then earning a speaking slot, you know, doing a very successful session at a regional event, then being selected for the national event based on that. Obviously, when you're speaking and you know, chosen to present, that helps cut down on, um, you know, entry fees. Often your registration is covered and that's a way to have a presence there at a lower cost. So it's, you know, putting some thought into what can we say that's really impactful you know, doing a small presentation and then being picked for national. So there are ways to still have an event presence when you don't have a ton of money to spend. And we know that's important. Yeah, yeah, that's great insight. And and not for nothing, the the buyers are probably looking for less expensive conferences as well, right? right. So it's big money to go to the, the big main conferences. But maybe if you're in Boston and there's, you know, you're a Boston Medical Center or you're a, a buyer uh, in the Northeast, maybe you choose to attend um, you know, a lower cost, uh, uh, a regional event as well. Um, what I found as a lawyer, <laughs> I found really interesting was that 65% of buyers say a product's regulatory status is only somewhat important to the purchasing decision. Can you, can you give me some additional insight on this? This sounds risky. Yeah, well, I think depending on the segment of, I mean, again, we're working with a real diversity of health tech clients, but depending on the segment that you're working in, the regulatory landscape can be challenging, you know, uh, quickly evolving. I think the example that comes to mind, you know, particular to one client that we have is the SAMD software as a medical device space. Yep. Uh, One area of health technology, you know, I mean, that's a place where they are very much still trying to figure out what the parameters and regulatory framework that they want to put around SAMD. Yeah, so, we're seeing um, a ton of that as well. Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, all that said, um, CIOs and, and other health tech buyers, you know, can still see this has potential and this, you know, just because the regulatory framework isn't there and you're maybe not specifically having those certifications or, you know, uh, benchmarks yet, doesn't mean that they don't see the value of your product. And then just also, you know, something else we see with, again, some of the smaller startups that we work with is that they don't have the money or the time or the resources to dedicate to having this robust regulatory team at this point. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think the survey, what we, we learned from the survey is that just because something isn't reimbursable or in this regulatory framework yet doesn't mean that buyers don't see its potential to make an impact. 
Yeah, and, and some point there, which I have seen, is that you know maybe maybe there's still some question marks in terms of regulatory, but but the but the but the company knows it has to get there and it's working on it. Right. If they can demonstrate a path to reimbursement, that that is compelling. Um, there's some sort of sort of forgiveness there. So I thought that that was interesting, and and, and you know possibly the takeaway for for companies is keep you know. Don't throw out the importance of, you know, making sure that you are compliant with with state and federal law, but do invest in figuring out creative pathways to reimbursement, regardless of which side of the fence you come down on in terms of regulatory. That's exactly right. Okay, so we talked about conferences. Let's talk about the media. We have a lot of companies spending a lot on media. This should be encouraging to them. The the report said that eighty percent of buyers get their healthcare news from the media, and they equally weigh trade publications, medical journals, and national business press coverage. Now, I know as a person who does media for my own firm and podcast that there is a a big price differential between producing something for a trade publication or medical journal and producing something for national business press coverage. Is that something that you're talking to your clients about? Is that Am I going in the right direction here, Erin? Well, I think in terms of in terms of uh, paid media, I mean, there's certainly a big difference. But, um, I, you know, looking at this from our perspective as a PR agency, I mean, we are, you know, on retainer with cl- our clients to pitch their story to the places that will make the most impact. And in many cases, our clients think that that is top tier national business outlets or bust. <laughs> and what we often have to uh, discuss with our clients and and tell them, and I think that this statistic or, you know, the, this result proves that is that sometimes a very substantive, maybe longer form byline or video interview that we can place during, you know, our pitching hours in a focused trade publication, a healthcare IT, healthcare technology trade publication is just as valuable as with, you know, in terms of connecting with their buyer than a mention in a top tier article, you know, a Forbes wrap up. Wow. I see. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, again, a lot of companies think that we need to be in the New York Times and not that we're not. And and I know, you know, having worked in other health tech PR agencies, that that is all of our we're we're working on that and all across you know every PR practitioner wants to land their client in a big a big outlet but you just you can't disregard the value of healthcare trade media and its focus and um, its opportunity to again say something more substantive that really speaks to the buyer's challenges and how you overcome them. Yeah, it's interesting because I I certainly wouldn't even know where to start in terms of which trade publications would be compelling, right? I'm assuming that given your work in the space, you'll know you'll have a list of those that you understand, uh, you know, which ones are actually being read by these CIOs, and and that that becomes a part of the strategy when you're working with clients. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. You know, it's the healthcare IT news. Healthcare IT today, uh, health leaders media, modern healthcare, you know, getting opportunities with some of these reporters working in these publications is just as valuable as, you know, being in a fast company listicle article, um, you know, yeah, different, but equally valuable. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that the, the publications you just listed, those are the ones that I'm reading, certainly. 
Okay, let's switch gears a little bit and bring Tom back into the conversation. All right. I'm I'm sad to announce on my podcast that only 20% of CIOs <laughs> are getting their information from podcasts and only 40% are on social media. The the report indicated that social media was some of the least interesting uh, sources of information for buyers. But media itself is a top market influencer. How how should companies interpret that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, something that drew our eyes as soon as we got the results back too. I mean, I think the big takeaway here is that you know the media's demise, you know, is is overrated. I mean, the media is still trusted out there. I mean, that was a big you know talking point or big takeaway from this report. And I think when you compare media versus social, um, you know, it really that really came to came to pass. And I think back to Aaron's point, I mean, I, c- I could really understand how medical journals and even health trades were far outperforming social and podcasts. But to see the business press up there at the same level was was pretty surprising. So that, that just showed you how valued, uh, you know, these CIOs see the media. On your on your point about podcast, I mean, it is it is a lower number, but I will say that that number, I don't have proof on this, but I'm pretty sure that that number was a lot lower, you know, five years ago, as we're seeing you know, from talking to our clients and their their customers that the podcasts are gaining momentum. I, I think it comes down to this specific audience, the CIOs. I mean, these are very busy folks, as we all know. I think they view podcasts, you know, listening to a long podcast, a longer podcast, and also just kind of trying to keep up with things on social media as a pretty significant time commitment. And I think they're looking at, you know, the the folks at, at the media organizations, the columnists, the reporters, the beat writers who follow their their topics pretty pretty frequently as as again just more trusted so i think that's where they're gravitating to it so it, it's clearly an audience you know in terms of these cios that prefers more traditional marketing channels maybe versus you know some of the more you know newer channels right now so that's all the time we have for today but join me in episode 42 for the continuation of this conversation with tom rice and erica urban of the merit group Uh, Next episode, you'll learn how to apply what you've learned today about CIO buying habits to land more business. In the meantime, be sure to check out episode 36, and that's with Charm Economics CEO Adam Block, where we talk about showing the ROI of your digital health solution. And check the show notes for this episode for links to the Merit Group survey we've been talking about. Many, many thanks to Tom and Erica for this discussion. I can't wait to share the rest with all of you. Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon Gwilt Law, go to nixongwiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.